Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. A while back now, I had on the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, Sister Joseph Andrew, and she shared a lot about their Dominican community, their religious life. She shared about her own vocation. And today, I'm happy to be speaking with Erin Brown. She also is a young lady who is discerning religious life and is entering a religious order this summer. And I wanted to speak with her to learn that process for her, how she went about discerning her vocation. Now, she isn't entering the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, but she is entering the Monastery of Our Lady of the Rosary in Summit, New Jersey, and she'll share a lot more about that with all of us today. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Erin. Thank you so much, Father. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I just always love hearing little vocation stories and I think for the common person that might be listening, that might not be, you know, invested in the Catholic world, they, they might know the stories of their priests, and they might also have the perception that, you know, there aren't a lot of religious sisters out there. But then when I tell the story of the Dominican sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, or the Nashville Dominicans, or introduce them to a young person like you who is making that decision to enter religious life, it kind of changes their perception. And perhaps your story is going to help someone else to discover and begin to discern a religious call, that being a religious sister is something that people still do today. What's the earliest memory that you have of actually thinking about being a religious sister? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I grew up, um, I'm a cradle Catholic. I grew up with um, devout Catholic parents and in a very strong Catholic homeschooling community. Um, and I also have an uncle who's a monk. So the idea of religious life being an option has kind of been been around my whole life. Um, the first time I remember thinking about it for myself in particular was I was uh, 13 or 14. And I was at a Lenten retreat um, put on by the Militia Immaculata. So that's mm. the organization founded by St. Maximilian Colby um, promoting consecration to Our Lady. So it was at this uh, teenage retreat um, during the Lenten season, and I was standing in line for confession inside the church. And as many churches do, this church had um, kind of stations of the cross around the perimeter. And I was just kind of staring blankly at the opposite wall of the church and happened to see the eighth station, which is Jesus meeting uh, the women of Jerusalem. And the caption at this particular church just read, the holy woman. And there was no conscious like thought process or connecting the dots. It was just like a switch flipped. And I had this, this thought entered my mind that God wants me to become a nun. And so um, I didn't really do much with it at that point. I was, you know, like I said, 13 or 14 at the time, but it definitely has, uh, has stuck with me since then. So yeah, I would say that was probably the earliest that I really thought about it. And then you ended up going off to college, you studied, you have had a job for the last number of years. And so when did that idea of religious life come back to the forefront of your life? It was really something, it kind of phased in and out of my life at different points. Um, it was kind of in the back of my mind all through high school and college is like, oh, I remember having had that experience. Um, and anytime I would grow closer to the sacraments, you know, have a stronger prayer life, it came up more and more, but, but it was always kind of like pushing down the road. Um, after college, I kind of um, 
I had never, I had not stopped going to mass during college. I, I was still Catholic and everything, but it wasn't a really strong part of my life. And after college, I really had this kind of all or nothing experience um, at a retreat where I was like, I really need to start getting serious about um, whatever God wants me to do next. And so after college, I um, started making visits. I visited the Nashville Dominicans on a couple of occasions, um, a couple other local communities just to kind of get the sense of religious life. But even then it was still, I had been kind of putting it off for so long, it started feeling like this, like sort of Damocles over my head where I was like, oh, I guess I have to go into religious life. I guess God wants me to, but kind of dragging my feet. Um, and it wasn't until my mid twenties or so, I had spent a couple of years um, with a spiritual director thinking about um, kind of the possibility of married life. I never really discerned that vocation before. So a couple of years I kind of took off, so to say, from, from thinking about the religious vocation and thought a little bit about married life, whether or not that was something God was calling me to. And then in summer of 2019, I, um, I kind of really reached this plateau in my spiritual or my personal life. I had just finished paying off my student loans. I was in a really stable place in my job. I had moved into an apartment of my own for the first time. And I really got the sense of like, I've reached this place of stability. And now I think God is calling me to something else next. And so something that came up in prayer when I really started to honestly examine that question was this idea of religious life. It was like, as soon as I opened the, um, opened my mind to that possibility again, it was like the floodgates open and God was like, yes, this is the time I want you to start seriously discerning now. So it was at that point that I really got serious about it for good. <laughs> I don't typically ask two questions at the same time, but you said two things there that I really mm -hmm. don't want to forget about and thought that maybe it would be just best to ask the questions at the same time. So the first thing you mentioned is, you know, you took a little time off to think about marriage. So you kind of put religious life on the back burner. So the mm -hmm. first question would be, uh, did you date anyone in that process? I think that's a question that a lot of people have. Like, did they just decide to be a religious sister? Did they date first? Or how, how did that come about? Or what was the result of that? And then secondly, then, you also mentioned that you paid off your student loan debt. And thanks be to God for that, because there are lots of other individuals out there who are discerning religious life. And really, student loan debt hinders them because they carry this debt. They can't enter a community. So... Uh, there are organizations out there like the Labore Society that can help people fundraise and, and find ways for them to enter the religious life. So I just want to comment about the student loan debt as well. So I don't know if you know anyone in that situation, but maybe you could share a little bit about that too. So first, did you date? And secondly, a follow-up about student loans. Yes, absolutely. Two good questions. Yes. So during that time in my mid-20s, um, where I, I started seeing a spiritual director. And I had, at that point, I was, like I said, feeling kind of this like reluctance towards the idea of religious life. And so the advice that he gave was, was great. It was um, to kind of seek out the areas of my life where, where God is filling you with light. And I had a, um, a brand new baby nephew at the time. And so I started for the first time, like, thinking about that idea of like being a mom, having children, you know, I could picture like holding my nephew for the first time. And, um, and so for like, for the next couple of years, I, I was like, oh, well, I must have been like wrong about discerning religious life before. I think God's calling me to be a mom after all. And uh, so I did, I, you know, downloaded some Catholic dating apps, met some nice Catholic guys, went on dates and things like that, and was really um, convinced that that where, was where God was calling me. 
And I think that was actually a really big blessing for me um, because it helped me kind of get rid of like the resentment or bitterness towards people in my life who were getting married and having kids. Um, it kept me from feeling like I was being robbed of that opportunity. So, so those couple of years that I took to, to date and to think about um, married life were really beneficial for me in the end. And it was, um, looking back, it wasn't like I made a mistake in discernment or something like that. I think it was God intentionally leading me down that pathway, kind of taking this detour so that I could give a fuller yes to the idea of, um, of a religious vocation. Sure. Um, and then as far as the student loan piece goes, yes, I am, I'm so lucky that loans were not um, a hindrance to me in that regard. And they were kind of a, a step in helping me figure out what I wanted out of life and what God was calling me to. I do know of other people who have had to um, receive help for, with paying off their student loans. Some people through kind of informally like GoFundMe, things like that in order to help them enter. Um, but I believe also some people I know who are entering postulancy this fall, like I am, were able to receive grants from, I think Mater Ecclesiae is the name of another organization. Mm. You mentioned the Labore Society. So if people are, are hoping to help encourage vocations, I think donating to those kinds of organizations is huge because if God is really calling someone to enter religious life and, and make a difference that way, then we need to... <laughs> give them all the assistance they can in order to uh, to fulfill that vocation, for sure. So you're going to be entering a religious community as a postulant, which is the first step in the formation of becoming a fully professed sister, having the title sister, and living that life in perpetuity until the Lord calls you home. So as you enter as a postulant, well, then the question is, how did you find this community, the Dominicans out there in Summit, New Jersey? I've been lucky to attend a, a fantastic Dominican parish here in Seattle for um, for the past several years. Shout out to Blessed Sacrament in Seattle. Um, and so for many years of my life, I've had this kind of attachment to Dominicans. Um, they, I like to say they're kind of the nerdiest of the religious communities. And I'm a homeschooled nerd. I love books and, you know, getting good grades and things like that. So, so the idea of Dominicans has always been near and dear to my heart. Um, so when I started first looking at religious life, um, I'm a teacher now, so I kind of assumed that that was the kind of religious life God was calling me to. I, as I mentioned before, visited the Nashville Dominican sisters who are teaching order. Um, when I started, or when I kind of had this epiphany a couple of years ago about religious life coming up in my life again, I kind of jumped at first to this idea of entering an active community and the more I was honest in prayer, the more I realized that wasn't actually what God was calling me to. Um, and the contemplative life started to pop up on my radar. So the, uh, the first community I visited that was a contemplative community um, was in Menlo Park, California, and they are Dominican nuns. Um, really, really wonderful. Enjoyed a lot of things about my life there and or about my visit there. And I really, really wanted that to be the next step in life. Um, but there just it wasn't quite the right fit. It just felt didn't feel quite settled when I visited there. So about a month after that visit to Menlo Park, I went to um, went out to Summit, New Jersey, and I had come across the that the website for that community. Maybe a few years ago, I had like followed them on Facebook, they have a cute, um, like little gift shop where they make candles and soaps and stuff. So I had, you know, bought things from their gift store before. Hmm. And so I was like, well, I'm in the business of looking at Dominican nuns right now might as well make this visit out. And um, I kind of wasn't expecting a lot when I first 
you know, when I got on the plane and when I was on the way there. But as soon as I stepped into the chapel and I heard the nuns chanting the office, it was like, again, it was like a, a click, a, a light switch moment where I felt totally at peace there. So that was uh, February of 2020. I went for a weekend visit. And then shortly after that, pandemic started, which gave me a lot of time for more reflection and uh, more more prayer on the matter. And I stayed. I went back in uh, summer of 2020 for a long extended visit, staying in the cloister. I was there for three weeks, and that really sealed the deal. I knew after those three weeks, I knew I could live that lifestyle, and that was what God was calling me to next. Well, what's interesting is that you really exclusively discerned the Dominican way of life. It doesn't seem like you went and looked at the poor Claire's or anything like that, that it was the Dominicans all the way for you. Now, you used a word, and people aren't going to know what this word means. You said, (laughs) I was in the cloister. Now, uh, that is a word that means, you know, secluded or set apart or something along those lines. But really what is very unique is that these Summit New Jersey Dominicans are actually cloistered religious. Is that right? That they, correct. once you enter, you're not really ever going to leave the monastery. You're not going to go, you know, te- teach in a school or anything like that. You're going to stay there and you're going to pray and you're going to leave only when necessary to go to the doctor or the dentist or something like that. So what drew you to the idea of being a cloistered religious sister? It's so interesting for me to look back on my discernment journey to that point, um, because even during the years when I was thinking more about married vocation, um, there were parts of my life that were already pointing towards cloistered contemplative life. So for instance, I thought for a long time about like giving up my smartphone, trying to limit my screen time, seeking more silence in my life. And now it seems super obvious that those are, those are parts of my personality. Yes. But those are also clues God was planting in my heart towards, um, towards contemplative life. So I think when I started um, looking at religious life again in earnest, I started looking at those kinds of signs and like, uh, you know, there are people who are called to the active ministry and have a real heart for, for being on the streets, helping people in that concrete way. But God was opening up my heart in a different way towards um, kind of being an intercessor. I, I like to say um, cloistered nuns are kind of like the, the powerhouse behind the church. You know, they, they're keeping the world together through prayer, um, prayer for the church, prayer for non-believers, um, Something I am especially passionate about is is prayer for priests and having known some awesome Dominican friars in my life, the idea of entering into vocation where I just get to pray for them all the time um, was really appealing to me. So it was really a matter of listening to kind of the natural desires and interests I had in my heart and then realizing where, where God was pointing with those. And you actually, you went off and you... Uh, were there in the cloister, you said, for three weeks. You kind of tried on the life, if you will, for, for just a short time, just to see if this was really where you wanted to to make your home. And so what was a normal day like for you in that experience? I'm a person who loves routines, and so I loved the life of the monastery. So you start, wake you wake up early in the morning, which that's going to be a lifelong struggle for me, I think. Uh, but wake up early in the morning, First thing you do is go to the chapel and pray. Uh, you have a little time for Lexio, Lexio Divina, and then you go back to the chapel for mass. And then you have a little work time. You go back to the chapel. So it's a lot of a lot of time in the chapel. Surprise, surprise. Um, 
other parts of the day, um, because they're Dominicans, there's a couple periods for study, for personal, not necessarily formal study as in like you're attaining a master's degree or something, but could be spiritual reading. Um, depending on your stage in formation, it could be learning more about, you know, the Dominican life, Dominican charisms. You also have um, periods of recreation. That's really important, obviously, for, as humans to be able to interact with your community. So there's periods where you might spend with um, other sisters in formation or with the community as a whole. Uh, let's see. There also work might look like, um, as I mentioned before, they have a gift shop where they sell candles, soaps, that kind of thing. So work could look like that. Or for other sisters in the monastery, it may be other practical things like grocery shopping or or running the financials of the monastery, replying to emails, that kinds of things. Um, but definitely kind of the, the heart of the monastery and the heart of your day-to-day -day life is um, praying the divine office and mass in the chapel there, as well as um, a particular charism of this community is adoration. So you have an assigned time that you go say um, a rosary in the adoration chapel every day. So those are kind of the pillars of the daily life there. Yeah, I was going to ask about the rosary because it's the monastery of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. So I figured that somehow that played uh, into their life. And I'm from Wisconsin, and there are a few cloister religious communities here. We have the Denmark Carmelites. So that's um, in Denmark, that's the city, uh, the Discalced Carmelites there. So uh, that's another example of a different way of life, of cloistered life as a Carmelite, different from a Dominican or a, a poor Claire. There's also in Milwaukee, I'm aware of this, um, they're called the Dominican Sisters, I think of the Perpetual Rosary or something like that, where the sisters have prayed the rosary in perpetuity uh, for many, many, many years. And so I actually tried to visit their convent once, but they wouldn't let me in, So, um, <laughs> but, which is understandable. Um, now, uh, here's a, a question, you know. Yeah, it's a group of women, women who have dedicated their life to the service of God and ranging in age, of course, from the more senior to the more younger members. How was the food while you were there? Good food? <laughs> yeah, I would say it was it was just fine. You know, I think they uh, have kind of shifts of people on kitchen duty. Um I think the biggest thing that I remember, I'm, I'm not much of a foodie myself and making dinner for myself or any meal is always kind of a chore. So it was really a great experience to just show up and have, have ready-made food. Um, but yeah, the food, food was great and, you know, we eat three meals a day and it's all, all there ready for us. So I definitely thought that was a good part of life. <laughs> Some religious communities actually have kind of like a vegetarian diet. Was it vegetarian-esque or did they have meat and things like that or, or maybe meat is reserved yeah. for feast days you know that's a now that i'm thinking about it um i don't remember meat being particularly reserved for feast days i was there over a couple of feast days and i do remember they did pull, pull out a few more bells and whistles you know desserts and stuff on those occasions they do fast regularly um i believe every friday is a fast day throughout the year um, so not quite vegetarian, but there is some kind of normalized restriction to their diet there. Um, but yes, it's certainly not as um, not as intense as perhaps religious life of decades past. But there are still some, you know, some sacrifices we give up through food. 
How did you tell your parents that this is what I want to do? I want to go join a monastery. You're never going to see me again, except when you come and visit. <laughs> and when you visit, it's going to be behind a grill. And a grill is like a barrier, a separation. So there isn't kind of the element of human touch there even. So how did they, how did you tell them? How did they take to it when you did break the news? I am, again, super blessed to have grown up with um, devout Catholic parents, and they are to this day. It's still, a, it's a weird conversation to have with anyone. And for all those reasons that you said, it, it's difficult to tell your parents, like, it, you know, I'm not going to live 20 minutes away from you anymore. I'm going to be across the country and you can only visit during certain times. Um, I think I blacked out probably most of the conversation. I was just so nervous about it, but they they have always been very supportive and um, they can see what joy and peace I have with this calling. And so I think that is, that is really helps them be at, um, more at peace with it as well. You know, they're, they're still human. And I think they are, they and I will still miss our, um, you know, geographically close and personally close relationship. But um, in general, they've been very supportive and, and open to the idea um, knowing that it's, it's what God's will is for me right now. I'm sure that you have a very good circle of Catholic friends, and so they've probably taken to it all right. I'm wondering if there's some people, some friends or people in your life, maybe even co-workers, that kind of are just baffled by this decision. Are there some <laughs> that have expressed, like, what are you doing and why are you doing this? Yes, it's really been an interesting uh, kind of like psychological test to uh, play on friends without them knowing it when I tell them. Um, there's a whole spectrum. My friends who are devout church-going Catholics have been incredibly supportive. And as you said, they kind of are familiar with this idea already. Um, I also have friends kind of on the opposite side of the religious spectrum who, who aren't churchgoers at all, you know, don't may, may or may not believe in God. But as they see me have this um, this passion and this desire for this lifestyle, they are really excited for me on, on that account. Um, so on the opposite side of the religious spectrum, but still have that same energy and enthusiasm for me as, as a friend. It's where you kind of get towards the middle of those two extremes that the results can be a little more hit or miss. So for instance, I have some friends who are Catholics, but maybe don't go to church on a regular basis or go to church on Sunday, but don't think about the faith outside of that. And that's where um, they are a little bit more mystified. And thankfully, no one has come up to me and outright said, like, I don't get what you're doing. I'm, I'm upset or confused by this. But you can tell sometimes by the lack of response what, what their thoughts may be. And, um, you know, in those cases, I just hope that the idea that someone like me can give up the world to enter a monastery, that that is something worth doing. I hope that maybe that's a small method of evangelization to those people that like Jesus is worth giving up things for and putting your life aside for. So yeah, whole range of, of reactions there. <laughs> you have some time now before you enter the religious community. What do you do with these weeks, these months before you enter? what Do you have a bucket list of things you really want to do before <laughs> you go to the monastery? Or how do you prepare? And so maybe of the world pre preparation, but also spiritually, how are you preparing for this transition? Sure. Yeah. So some of the practical things, um, I was given a, a packing list from the nuns, which is very helpful. It's always my least favorite part of going on vacation is trying to figure out what to bring. So 
So the nuns have a very specific list of, you know, white blouses, black shoes, that kind of thing. Um, so checking off those items from the list, I do, I would love to be able to do some travel before I enter, but of course there's this pandemic going on you might've heard about. So <laughs> I'm hoping to, um, hoping to travel to a couple places before I enter. Ireland is number one on my list right now, but that's kind of shut down. So pray for Ireland to open up their borders to vaccinated travelers again. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so some of the practical or, you know, worldly things are, are just kind of bucket list items like that, you know, seeing people, seeing my, my family who lives out of state, um, those kinds of things before I go. Are they going to um, let the, you bring the ukulele that's behind you? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I got permission to bring uh, three different types of instruments. So I bring in my ukulele. Um, I'm a cello player, so I get to bring my cello. And then at like a good elementary music teacher, I have several recorders that I get to bring with me as well. So um, I think about half my luggage, if not more, will be musical instruments. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are kind of the practical things. And then on the on the more spiritual side, um, I've been doing my best to to bring some of the silence of the monastery into my day to day life right now. And you know, I'll be honest with with mixed results depending on how exhausting the week at school has been and things like that. You know, some days you just want to come home and put on Netflix for the rest of the day. But um, I, trying to prepare myself for kind of the strict routine of, of monastic life. Um, and there, you know, in the monastery, you don't have Netflix on autoplay. You don't have Spotify on your phone ready to go. So just kind of preparing myself for what that, what the day-to-day -day routine will look like and feel like there for sure. And when do you enter then? My entrance date is August 14th, uh, which is the vigil of the Assumption, but I'm so excited because it's the feast day of my number one favorite saint, St. Maximilian Colby. Uh, and it also happens, yeah. Yeah, which you mentioned, it was on an MI, a Militia Immaculata, a retreat based off of the spiritual writings of St. Maximilian Colby that you first had the seed of a vocation to religious life. So that's really cool. Yes, he's been such a part of my spiritual life since I was 13. And so um, I last summer when I visited, I left the monastery on August 14th. And so I think it's very poetic that I get to enter again on his feast day. I'm very excited. And you'll be able to be in the monastery for the celebration of the Assumption, which is a holy day of obligation, except I take this back because this year the Assumption is on a Sunday. So <laughs> yes. I don't think it's even observed this year. Maybe it's moved to Monday. I'm not sure. But but anyways, you you have that to look forward to, to celebrate all of the different Marian feast days as well. And and. And you'll be there for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and you'll enter into this life. And as you enter, are there other young women like yourself who will either have entered or will be entering or enter alongside you that day? Yeah, so last summer while I was visiting, um, there was a postulant who entered then and another one a few weeks after I had left. And then this year, um, there happens to be another who's entering I think about a month after I will. Um, the community that I'm entering kind of um, has postulants enter on a on a rolling basis. Other communities may have a specific time of year that that new um, ladies enter the monastery. But with this uh, monastery, it's it's on a rolling basis. So one for sure is coming a little bit after I do, and I believe there's someone else who is um, applying to the monastery as well. So 
God willing, I'll be in good company with other newbies to the monastery. <laughs> How many sisters are there in total right now at the monastery? A little bit over 20, I believe, including the new the postulants. Okay. And if there's a young person who's thinking about, well, what is God calling me to? And so, of course, it could be a person, uh, a young man or, or middle-aged man for that matter, thinking maybe God's calling me to be a priest. Or maybe there's a young woman out there like yourself. She's just paid off her student loans, and now she's like, well, maybe God is calling me to be a sister. What advice do you have for them for the process of discernment? Something that was really huge for me in my discernment was um, building up my my relationship with God, first and foremost. Not so much to seek the answer to vocation, but just um, just as you would build up a relationship with a friend. You know, I had, during some parts of my life, my relationship with God had been an hour a week on Sundays. And if that's how your, your friendship with someone was, where you're like, I'm only hanging out with you for one hour because I'm obligated to, that would not be a strong friendship. So my uh, kind of the realization hit me at one point that I needed to intentionally work on this, this time of prayer with God um, to grow in that knowledge and love of him. So I would say no matter what vocation you're discerning, having that stable um, prayer life, time reading the scriptures, you know, attending daily mass, if that's a, a possibility for you, um, but building up that relationship with God first and foremost. So then you can learn to recognize his voice in your heart and the ways he's trying to speak to you. Wonderful. Well, it's been great to hear kind of how God called you to enter religious life, how you've gone about discerning that and that process of entering and what that all entails. Now, one of the things I always ask uh, guests on How They Love Mary is just a few questions about their own Marian devotion. And that kind of just, for uh, for all of us, helps us to be exposed to new methods or understandings. And so perhaps maybe the first one, what's your favorite title for the Blessed Mother? Oh, I love the title of Star of the Sea. Um, that's one of my favorites. It's I think it's a very beautiful kind of poetic image of, you know, the stability of the stars above the turmoil that we might be feeling in our lives. Um, I also, I'm a big Tolkien nerd. I love Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion. And one of his most Marian characters in the Silmarillion um, is responsible for the creation of the stars. And so this, this title of Star of the Sea kind of has that like nerd connection for me, but I also just, I love the beauty of that title for Our Lady. It's so interesting that you mentioned the Lord of the Rings because just mm -hmm. today I was driving and I said, you know, I'd really like to have tea with Tolkien on to talk about any Marian <laughs> imagery in the Lord of the Rings because honestly, I've never read it. So it's so funny that that I was just thinking <laughs> that today and now you're here to confirm that maybe I should pursue that a bit further. So anyway, absolutely. <laughs> so you're entering a religious community called the Monastery or the Dominicans at the Monastery of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. People pray the rosary. Of course, I encourage the daily recitation of the rosary. Our Lady asked for it at Fatima. Is there a tip that you could offer to help people pray the rosary better, something that has enhanced your prayer? Yes, something that's been really helpful for me. I've, I've gotten a lot more serious about the rosary these past couple of years, um, I think for two primary reasons. One is, this is not a groundbreaking tip, I've heard it so many times, and when I finally listened to it, it really helped, um, kind of creating a routine for when you pray the rosary. So whether it's, right now I do it on my daily commute to work, 
Um, some, some years I've done it right before I go to bed, but just finding a set time that you set aside for praying the rosary is, is so helpful so that, you know, whether or not you're feeling like it, you've got the time. Um, the other thing that was really helpful for me is, uh, looking at, um, looking for scriptural, scriptural art to go with the mysteries of the rosary. I have, um, kind of two resources that I use for that. One is a book um, it's a, it has images by Fra Angelico, who was a Dominican uh, painter, with images of each mystery of the rosary. So it's just something for me to look at while I pray. And also, if you go onto YouTube, and I think I typed like scriptural rosary art, there's a lot of, of compilations people have made where each uh, prayer of the rosary is paired with some sort of religious art to go with it. And so that I found really helpful as kind of a visual learner, um, just keeping me focused and give me, giving me something to contemplate as I pray. Pray. Well, great tips. And how about a favorite Marian apparition? I think this is a tough one. I think I'm going to have to go with Our Lady of Guadalupe. I've always found that image and the story of Juan Diego to just be so beautiful and heartwarming. I think that's got to be my favorite. Is there a shrine to Mary you visited that left an impression on you? Um, the University of Notre Dame has a uh, replica, replica grotto of, of Lourdes. And so um, I went to school across the street from Notre Dame at St. Mary's College. So I did many a walk to the, uh, the Lourdes grotto at Notre Dame. So I think Lourdes in general, the real, the real deal, and also the uh, Notre Dame component as well. And there are lots of books about the Blessed Mother. People like myself write books about Mary. Saints have written books about Mary. Other contemporary authors. Is there a book about Mary that you would recommend to people? Yes, I've got to give a, another plug to a Saint Maximilian Colby. Um, he has a book, uh, a book compiled of his writings called Aim Higher, and he writes about many different things. You know, some about his um, religious life, some about different virtues. But he was such a Marian saint that. His, um, his devotion to Mary really comes through every page of that book, whether or not it's specifically about Our Lady. So aim higher with the writings of St. Maximilian Colby. Well, Erin, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today. And of course, I hope that people that listen to How They Love Mary, that they will pray for you, especially as you make that transition to pray for your family and friends and and. Um, also, too, if people want, they can go to the store for the Summit New Jersey Sisters and buy some of those items that you've bought over the years. And that's a way that they could help support your new life and your new religious community. But if people want to follow you for a short time on social media, how can they do that? <laughs> for a limited time only. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, tweeting about Catholic things and baseball things, um, at Aaron Brown SMC. And I'll be there until August. <laughs> well, wonderful. And you love baseball. Who's your favorite team, I must ask? Oh, God has given me lots of opportunities for redemptive suffering. I am a fan of the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, very good. Uh, of course, being from Wisconsin, I would have to say the Milwaukee Brewers. So. Mm. Beautiful stadium out there, though. I'm a fan. <laughs> Have you been to a lot of uh, baseball stadiums? I've been to a handful. Um, going to college in Indiana, Indiana, I did a few road trips. So um, in addition to the West Coast stadiums, I got to drive by Miller Park, in uh, where the Brewers play, Target Field, where the Twins play, and Wrigley Field, where the Cubs play, and, and a handful of others around the states. 
Well, great. Well, thanks so much for being with me today, for sharing your story. I always love stories like this because I think it really provides hope for people that God is still calling people and you're a young person and you are open and receptive to that call. And now you're going to try to live out what God is calling and inviting you to. So thank you for saying yes, like the Blessed Mother, to his invitation in your life. Thank you so much, Father. Thanks for having me on. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If you don't mind, please leave a review of How They Love Mary on Apple Podcasts. Share the podcast with your family or your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or wherever people find their podcasts. And if you don't mind, please give me a follow on social media at the handle at FR Edward Looney. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.